Thank you for joining us today. We'll continue our study of the letter of Paul to the Colossians. We'll study the Apostle Paul's instruction to us to put off our old self and put on Jesus Christ since we've been raised with him. We are ambassadors representing him here, and so our words and actions should reflect him if we put our hearts and minds on him. So if you'll open up your Bibles to the letter of Paul to the Colossians chapter 3, we'll begin our lesson. So why don't I open us up in prayer? Father in heaven, thank you again for this group. I thank you for the fellowship that you've given each of us. I thank you for this study and your word. And as we dig back into Colossians today, Father, just use this in a way to put on our heart those things that we need to change that Paul is going to talk about in the lesson today in the scripture that we study. We all have things that need to be rectified to become more Christ-like And we just ask you to continue to work in our lives to make that happen. Put on our heart those things that we need to focus on and give us the will to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives to make the necessary changes. Ask that you speak through me and others who speak up today. We don't want to mislead anyone. Let it be your words and just guide our discussion in a way that brings glory to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Colossians 3. Why don't we just start right in here? It says, If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, when you look at this if, a better way to really read this would read instead of if, read it as since. Since we have been raised up with Christ, this has already been accomplished. This is one of these things It's kind of like already done but not yet. But we were raised up with Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. As Christians, it's already accomplished. Let me show you a couple of verses on that real quick. And I'm going to be jumping around a lot. I'll just tell you the ones to go to that we'll spend a little more time in. But I'll first take you to Galatians 2, verse 20. And this is Paul speaking again. It says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. And so we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. This has already been accomplished. We have been raised up with Christ. I'll show you one other one. I'll take you over to Romans 6, and I'm going to begin in verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness in the newness of life. And so this has already been accomplished. And so because we have Jesus Christ who has paid our penalty, paid for our sins, and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, what are we to do? We're to keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. This is continuous action. Let me show you one more in Romans real quick. Let me take you over to Romans 8.34. Actually, let's start in 33, Romans 8.33. Who will bring charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. 
What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Then skip down to verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so that's what we have. We have the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus Christ. He intercedes for us. Who can do anything to harm us? And that's the love of Jesus that we have. With that, then, we are to set our minds on the things above, it says in verse 2. Not on the things that are of this earth. We are not of this world. We're going to see. We're ambassadors that are here temporarily and we have a job to do. If the love of the world is in us, then God is not in us. I get that in 1 John 2.15. I'll just read that to you real quick. It says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so, yeah, we're here and we have a job to do while we're here, but we're not to be part of this world. Let me take you, I'll, I'll just read it. Philippians 3 verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where our citizenship is. We're here, but we are to place our thoughts and our mind on the things above. Verse 3, I'm back in Colossians 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, what does this mean? Our life is hidden in Christ in God. I did a lot of studying on this. I'm not sure I have this right, but certainly one interpretation that I think seems to make sense to me, especially when we read the next verse. Let me take you over, and I want you to look at this. Go back over to 1 John. That's not the Gospel of John. These are the epistles of John, which are all the way to the back, right before Revelation. And let's look at 1 John 3, 2, because I think this is what he's talking about. It says... Beloved, now we are children of God as Christians, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. So we're going to be conformed to the image and nature of Jesus Christ. And we don't totally grasp or understand that right now. I think that's the part that's kind of hidden uh, we're going through the sanctification process now to change us, to make us more Christ-like. And Paul's going to be talking about that as well as we read on today. But we've died. Our old self has died. And our life is hidden with Christ in God. Go back over to Colossians. Look what it says in verse 4. It says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So what we will be when we come with Jesus Christ in his second coming to glorify him, that's what's going to be revealed. Now, I think also this verse 4 is talking about, you know, Christ will be revealed to us at the rapture when we're taken up to join him. But then we are revealed with Christ at his second coming. That's when this revealing is going to happen and we're going to be in full glory to bring him glory, to reign and rule with him. Verse 5 of Colossians 3. 
Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So let's unpack this a little bit. We have this fleshly nature, and it wants to be consumed by, actually when you go back and look at the original language for immorality, the word comes from pornea, which we get pornography and means prostitution. It's really talking about sex. Immoral sexual acts is what this is talking about. These are sins of passion that we're sometimes consumed with that he's talking about. And this greed is this insatiable desire. It's passion, which can become like idolatry. These are sins that can really separate us from God and inhibit the ability of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Contentment is the opposite of greed. It's wanting more and more. And these things that he's describing in verse 5, these things are contrary to godliness. All Christians struggle with sin. We all do. And we need to seek forgiveness, repent from our sin, ask the Holy Spirit to help us. But until we do that, it inhibits the ability of the Holy Spirit to work in our life. But God can use those when we do fail and when we're going through tough times. He can use those things to convict us. Uh, The Holy Spirit will convict us of our sin and we'll feel bad about it. And we then repent and say, help me. I don't want to do this anymore. And that's part of the sanctification process. He says in verse 6, this is Paul writing, For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. So this may be talking about even the tribulation, but these types of sins displease God. This is what you would expect from unbelievers. And they're going to suffer from God's wrath. As Christians, we're not going to suffer from God's wrath. But whenever we commit sins, there's always consequences from the sins that we commit. Always. will always impact us, and sometimes it will even impact those around us. Let me show you a verse here. I'm going to take you over to Hebrews 12, and I'm going to start in verse uh, 5. It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there from whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons." So you may look at some people and it's like, man, I see them. They're just living their life. doesn't seem like anything ever happens to them. They're getting away with it. They're going through their life, you know, just blowing it out, enjoying all the worldly pleasures, and nothing happens to them. Well, you know, it may be that God has pretty much just turned them over to their own lust and let them go. And so at least when we feel this conviction and we're disciplined and we go through trials, if we could be more like Paul, who always said, you know, I don't know what you're up to, but I know you're at work. I'm not going to get worked up by this trial, this difficulty. I'm in prison, whatever he was going through. He knew God was at work through that. And when God is at work in our lives like that, if we could learn to be more like Paul, and give thanks to God for him disciplining us and telling us that we shouldn't be living our life that way. Okay, let me go back over to Colossians. 
He says in verse 7, And in them, in these sins that we've been describing, you also once walked when you were living in them. I'll take you over to Ephesians 2 real quick, which really describes how we were. I'll begin in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This was before we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We were dead. We weren't just sick. We were dead in those sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He's describing Satan. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's who we were. And in the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions. So we were dead. We were headed for death. We were headed for hell. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So it wasn't anything we did. It was through God's grace and mercy. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So it's already happened. It's a promise. This is our inheritance. We're going to share with Christ and we're going to reign and rule with him. We're not going to be God, but we're going to be there to give him glory. Verse 7, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So we should be so thankful for what Jesus has done for us. I mean, we were dead. We weren't just sick. We were dead. Let's go back over to Colossians now. So that's how we used to be in verse 8. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. So these are sins of wicked speech. These are social sins that are created by our, usually by our mouth. They're directed towards others. It can be just terrible speech towards others. So it begins with anger, but then it even can get heated up to wrath. We're not supposed to be hateful towards one another. We're supposed to be different as Christians. Now, anger is an emotion. So we're going to have anger, but it's what happens when we let that anger fester and we act out on it in a way that is not Christ-like. We need to keep our anger under control. It's not that anger is a sin. It's what happens after that. And the Bible tells us that if we let that go too long, that can actually enable Satan and his team to really mess with us. And then we start using abusive speech to others and we're intolerant with others. So he says, we got to put all that aside. That's our old self. Verse 9, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. So as Christians, we have to live our lives and speak and act in accordance with our new identity. Remember, we're called to be ambassadors. That's what we are. We are representing Jesus Christ to others. So we can't be practicing these old things. Verse 10, and we've now put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. As Christians... We have a new life. This doesn't happen instantaneously. We don't have spiritual maturity just overnight. We're going to have ups and downs. It takes time to go through this sanctification process. 
and mature and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and change us. But the flesh is going to continue to wage war against us up until the time of our death when our sanctification process will be completed. So, verse 11, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Okay, this Scythian, these were warlike barbarians. Remember, Greeks viewed anyone who wasn't Greek as a barbarian, but these were really messed up barbarians. When they would kill people in battle, they would actually drink their blood. They'd even take their skulls and turn them into cups and drink their blood. These were really violent, violent, evil people. And they attacked people throughout Asia. They were hated by the Jews and everyone else. These were really bad, evil people. What Paul's saying here is through the work of Jesus Christ, what is happening is when we get to heaven, there's no distinction. You can be this really evil person, but then once you become a Christian, you are a changed person, and there aren't going to be these social distinctions. And all of these people are going to be able to live in harmony if they place their faith in Jesus Christ and become Christians. There aren't going to be any distinctions. To think of someone like this, to be able to live with them and live in harmony with them, this would have just been unfathomable to the listeners and readers of what Paul is saying here. Sometimes I think Satan can work on us and say, gosh, you remember that sin you did? You're so bad. You're so messed up. Surely you're not really a Christian because there's no way Christ would want you in the kingdom with all that mess you did. And what Paul's saying here is, look, when you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Now live like it. Live the life that Christ is enabling you to have because of what he did for you. Verse 12, and so... As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, you should also forgive. This is how we should live now. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we have a new identity. And that new identity should bring about a change in our behavior that proves that we have been transformed, that the Holy Spirit is living in us and transforming our heart and maturing us in our faith so that we can be an ambassador and a representative of Jesus Christ, forgiving one another, having patience with people when they wrong us and forgiving them. This is tough to do and we can't do it on our own, but if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us and ask Him to change us, then we're able to show mercy to others and grant forgiveness. And then we will be set apart. We'll live our lives in a way that others look at us and say, wow, you're different. How do you live your life that way? Verse 14, and beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Love is what ties all of this together. This attribute, it all flows from Jesus. And remember, Jesus gave us, he said, I can narrow it all down to two commands, love God and love others. And if we just focus on that and ask the Holy Spirit to help us do that, we can then show love to others, even though they've wronged us. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I mean, we should be thankful. 
think of what Jesus has done for us. Our sins are forgiven. We are guaranteed eternity in heaven. We couldn't have done that on our own. And so we should be so thankful for what he's done. And we should then call on the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to help us, continue to change us. Let me just show you a verse here real quick. I'm going to take you over to Romans 5, 1. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, so God gives us our faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained an introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. So we've been given this. It's an unbelievable gift that God has given us through his grace. And we've accepted that as Christians. And so now we have peace. This enmity with God that we had. We were at war with God. We were rebelling against God. But now God has given us this incredible gift. And so we ought to be so thankful. We're at peace. God has extended love to us. And now we should live like that. We should be thankful. We should be giving thanks and praise to Jesus all the time. He's going to talk about that in a minute. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's through the Holy Spirit. With all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with faithfulness in your hearts to God. Because we have this peace, because we understand what Jesus has done, and the Holy Spirit is in our heart teaching us as we're studying the Bible. We should study scriptures and the Holy Spirit opens our heart and mind to be able to understand the word of God. And then we should also help one another. When we see a brother or sister struggling with sin, we should help them do it in a loving way, but help them understand the consequences of their sin. And perhaps their sin is inhibiting the Holy Spirit to be able to work in their lives. But because we've been given this incredible gift, we should sing. When we're in church, we ought to be singing praise when we go through the worship part of the service. But then he's talking about spiritual songs too. And so we should be praising God throughout the day and be so thankful of everything that he's done for us. Verse 17, In whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So our actions and our words, they're to be consistent with who God is and what his will is for us. And then we should thank God for everything as we become more Christ-like. Just think of it, you've got the Holy Spirit living in you. And so every time we sin, we're taking God right into our sin with us. He's there, and that's not glorifying him at all. So we should be so thankful. If anything we do, we can say, you know what? I'm getting ready to do this, and I'm doing this to bring glory to you. You know that you're on the right path. If you can say that and know that what you're getting ready to do, it's all to bring glory to God and not yourself, you're on the right track. So now Paul's going to talk about relationships. The biggest problem that we have as humans is our inability to get along with others. We struggle with that so much. The fall alienated us from God, alienated us from each other. And our flesh wants us to be so self-absorbed and focused on ourselves rather than everyone else. We're so wrapped around our own happiness and what's going to make me happy. And that's our flesh doing that to us. But as Christians, we become children of God. We're no longer rebelling against God. 
We have peace, as I described, with God. Because of that, we have standards. These aren't rules that we've got to follow in order to maintain our salvation. That's not what this is about. It's about a personal relationship with God. It's not about following rules. But because we have this love and thankfulness for what Jesus has done for us, we should live our lives in a way that is pleasing to him, that will show others that we are different. And it will prove that the Holy Spirit is living inside of us and working in us to transform us. We're to have a positive influence on other people around us. This is a lost culture, and Jesus wants us to be the model, the Holy Spirit working through us, that others will want to follow as well. Let me just show you a quick scripture on that. I'm going to take you over to Philippians 2.15. Actually, in 2.14. Philippians 2.14 is where I'll start. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. So that's what we're to be. We're to be the light. And are we living our lives in a way that people can see that we're different? Or do people just look at us like we're as messed up as anyone else? and maybe even worse than that, that we're hypocrites because we proclaim one thing, but we live our lives just like everyone else. So he's going to talk in the next several verses about relationships. Verse 18, he's going to talk about wives. He says, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, this is a verse, you can read more about this. I won't take the time today. We discussed this when we were over in Ephesians 5. You can take a look, Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. But there are many females today, and supported by males, who use a black highlighter on this verse. They say it no longer applies. They demand equal rights, women's rights. But this is how God structured marriage. And it's not that women are not equal to men. We're going to see here as we read on, they are equal. But this was a sense of order in the marriage. Think of it as even Jesus with God the Father. Jesus is the son of the Trinity, of the triune God. Jesus is equal to God the Father, but Jesus submitted to God the Father. You see? So equal, but submitted. So now he's going to talk about husbands in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Again, you can go look at Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 28. So husband and wives, they should show selfless love towards each other. That's what Paul is talking about here. Each placing the other ahead of themselves, serving the other, A wife that is described here is going to submit to the loving leadership of her husband. And a loving husband is always going to place her interest ahead of his own. And then they both seek God's will together. These two verses, this is about marriage. This isn't about the female-male relationship in business or anything else. This is talking about Christian marriages, okay? That's what this is talking about. So now he's going to talk about children, other relationships. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, this is talking about young children, children living at home. This isn't talking about grown children who have moved out of the house. They are to be obedient. You can go read Ephesians, begin in Ephesians 6.1 on more about this. But the husband and wife relationship have to be right 
in order for then this to work well. This is one of the Ten Commandments. You can look in Exodus 20.12. There's also some related provisions if you want to use with your young children at home. You can go look at Proverbs 1.8 and Proverbs 6.20 also talk about this. This next verse is something that I always kept in mind when I was disciplining my kids. I was always concerned about this. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. And again, you can look in Ephesians 6, 4 for more about this. But this is where you take discipline too far. It's saying don't provoke or irritate or discourage your kids. Don't overprotect them. Don't have too strict of rules. Now, I think in our culture today, it's probably gone the other way because now there's hardly any discipline. When I was growing up, I mean, I used to have nuns hit my fingers with a ruler. I got hit with the belt. My mom would make me go out and pick my own switch off the tree and bring it in and get beat with it. And if you do that today, you're encouraged to now turn those bad parents into the authorities. We've gone way to the other end. And so this probably isn't as big a deal. But I still think we can sometimes in our anger, when our kids, we've kind of had enough, we can go a little too far. And we don't want to have our kids just totally lose heart. So there's a balance there. Now he's going to talk about work relationships. Verse 22, slaves in all things... And by the way, I've pointed this out to you before. When you go back and look at the original language, all means all. I mean, all is all. In all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So this is talking about whatever job we have. I think this applies to the employer-employee relationships today. Remember, God's given us our job. Whatever job we have, God has given that to us. And we should put everything we have into the job we have as if we're working for God. He gave us the job. He gave us that position. Work as if we're working for the Lord. Sometimes you're given a really difficult boss. Let me tell you, I've had my share of them. Don't lose heart. I've probably learned the most in my career from the worst bosses I had. Because those I learned, I didn't want to be like that. Nothing's forever. God has you there for a reason. You need to ask God, okay, this is really difficult, but why do you have me here? What are you trying to do in and through me? And what are you trying to teach me through this difficult employer-employee relationship that I have? Verse 23, to close this out. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So again, whatever job we have, give 150%. I mean, we're working for God in whatever role we're in. And God is going to reward us based on the way that we've handled the opportunities that he has given us in our life. This isn't a salvation thing for Christians. This is talking about the rewards that we will have in heaven. And we're going to have to give an accounting for how we handled the positions that God gave us and the relationships. I mean, every relationship we have, God has given that to us for a reason. Our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our kids. We have a responsibility as Christians to bring our kids into a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
in our friends, in our colleagues. We have those relationships for a reason. And so are we seeking God's will in what he wants to do in and through us in those relationships? Finally, verse 25, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done and that without partiality, meaning God's going to judge everything we've done in our lack of obedience. This, again, is not salvation, but he is going to give us rewards based on how we have done. For non-Christians, yes, he's going to judge without partiality there definitely, and their judgment will come based on what they have done. So just let me summarize what we've studied this morning, and then I'll open it up for your comments and questions. I think Paul's telling us that Jesus is in the position of the very highest authority, and we're now identified with him, and we represent him to others as an ambassador. So the question is, do our words and actions reflect that? Are we a good ambassador for Jesus Christ? How are we reflecting Jesus to others? Are we showing people that we've been transformed by the Holy Spirit? Are we living our lives just like everyone else? Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they indwell us. And the question that I have for all of us is how often are we tapping into that power that we have? Or are we just continually dragging them into the sins that we continue to practice? How are we following Jesus' model of love and service to others? How are we treating our spouses? Are we truly serving them? Are we truly placing their interest ahead of our own all the time? I think we all probably have some work that we could do there, and we can do it beginning today. Doesn't matter what we did yesterday or this past week. How are we going to act towards our spouse when we get home beginning today? And finally, have we truly set our heart and minds on the things above. Is our primary focus Jesus Christ and allowing him to work in and through us through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring glory to him rather than ourselves and to serve other people rather than just doing everything to try to bring glory to ourselves. So there's a lot in here today, a lot to think about. I don't know about you, but even as I was preparing for the lesson today, I felt a lot of conviction there's a lot I need to work on because there's so many areas in my own life that I continue to live my life the way I did before, not transformed. And I need to focus on those and ask the Holy Spirit to help me. And it's just a matter of saying, you know, I'm willing to be made willing. I can't do it on my own. We'll fail every time when we try it under our own power. But if we ask the Holy Spirit to show us those areas that he wants to work on next and truly yield to him, and ask him to teach us, point those things out, we can change. And hopefully we can all look back over our lives, the time from when we first became Christians, and see there has been change. That should give us encouragement. I can at least look back and say, yeah, there were things I used to struggle with all the time, that at least I don't have those, but I have all new things that were there actually before that I still struggle with, that I need to turn over and ask the Holy Spirit to help me. So what questions, comments, how else might we apply this in our lives? Larry, it occurs to me that there's such a parallel between the gospel and then this life that we have here, the parallel between the parent and a child and then Christ as our Savior and then us as a new creation in Christ. And what occurs to me is that when you're born to your parents, that's done. 
there's nothing you can do whether you're behaving or misbehaving now you should behave and your parents are loving and want you to behave and you should honor them and behave and that's how it should be after we are Christians we accept Christ and then our salvation our airship with him is done it's fixed whether we're misbehaving or behaving and we should as the scriptures are teaching us here today we should seek to honor Christ and serve him and put our focus on him and not sin not misbehave not because he's going to come paddle you because that's what he wants for you that's what's best for you and that's kind of the analogy that occurs to me today in the scripture that's really good and I think that is why Paul's putting this in this section here because you know you think when you're a little kid you mess up and we got paddled most of us or there was physical consequences but as we matured it only took that look from your mom or dad it's like oh yeah I know I disappointed you and we felt terrible about it and that's how we should mature in our faith in the same way that it's like man I did it again and I know I've disappointed you but what is really in a great mother father child relationship that Paul's describing here just like the relationship we have with the father and Jesus even though we mess up their love doesn't change they still love us and they're right there ready to pick us up right where we left off now get back into it and let's get going it is it's a beautiful analogy I like how there's three things to put to death or put off and then three things to put on. So put to death, sensuality, put to death or put off the old self and then put all the anger away and then put on the new self, put on compassion, kindness, all that and put on love. I love that balance and I think that happens just from your personal devotional time with Jesus then lived out throughout the day. So just thought that was kind of a neat parallel. As Paul wrote, it was just real clear kind of like taking that off just take that off and put this new thing on it's a great analogy but how often do we keep wanting to wear those old clothes Mm -hmm. and when you are able to do some of these things you can look and see clearly it's the holy spirit because we know if left to our own devices that's not how we would be and it's very encouraging to know that that's evidence of our faith and then for me, the other encouraging thing is some things that I feel convicted about today. Yeah. I used to go through and I didn't feel convicted about it. Right. I didn't even think it was wrong. No, that's good. You know, or I, I would find a way to justify it, but I didn't feel convicted about it. Right. No, and, and just the fact that now I feel convicted about it, it's like, oh, that's evidence the Holy Spirit is now saying, okay, now we're going to work on this area. You know, you're going to feel convicted here. It's like, oh, man, I used to do that all the time. And I, and and I, I feel like that is really God's love. I love kind of how they, you know, talking about Father. Father disciplines those he loves. You don't mess with somebody else's kid. That's just too much effort, and you don't have the time. You mess with your own kid. And so whenever God starts to put that on your heart, that's a real blessing of really knowing how loved you are, that he's convicting you and whatever the thing is. Thank you for joining us today. Larry would love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to Larry at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and Larry's weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. We hope you will join us next time as we continue our study.